0: Hi, everyone. It's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This special episode of the Culture First podcast is brought to you by Culture Amp, the people and culture platform. Head to culturefirst.com slash working through it, where you can experience our brand new multimedia series called Working Through It. It's a seven-part journey to navigate through a crisis. Over the coming weeks, you'll find a series of articles, videos, eBooks practical advice, wisdom, and then, of course, this podcast. And it's all here to support you and your team as you work through it. I may be biased, but the website, it's a thing of beauty, and we hope you find it incredibly useful. All right, let's get started.
1: My name is Wendy Suzuki. I am a professor of neuroscience and psychology at New York University, and I'm working through it by taking full advantage of all the extra time I have sheltering at home. Culture first.
0: Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Clutz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to the Culture First podcast. As you would have gathered, we're about to embark on a special series of stories on this podcast. We've loved hearing your feedback and gratitude for the long-form episodes where we've heard from multiple guests, weaved together different opinions, and of course, backed it all up with Culture Amp Data. So I'm excited to let you know that there's gonna be plenty more episodes just like that for you to listen to in the future. But for now, we start a brand new type of episode and the introduction of a new special series called Working Through It, a collective seven-part journey through crisis. What we're all collectively going through is truly unprecedented and deeply strange. But you don't need to be told that. You're being told constantly, and you're also constantly being told what to do about it, how to work more efficiently from home, how to refocus your business strategies, or how to restructure your teams. But we think all of this, is really missing an important point. We're human. When our world is turned upside down, and the most mundane and reliable elements of our lives suddenly, drastically change, It's shocking, upsetting, and disruptive. There's no hot tip for managing Zoom meetings. That's going to make your background anxiety or fears about the future disappear. There's nothing we can do except work through it. Over the coming weeks, you'll hear from a range of different people as we explore each of the seven parts. These episodes will be shorter in length and will focus on one human story at a time. From academics, to authors, practitioners, to podcast hosts, to humans. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. And while we might be experiencing collective grief, we are also having a nuanced and non-linear journey through these seven parts. So that's what we're going to do, together, with you, our community. As a friend of mine says, where should we begin? We begin with part one, which is called Start With Today where we focus on restoring our health and well-being after a disruptive event. Thankfully, there's been a lot of research into the best ways to calm our minds, and we're going to learn how to restore well-being to our bodies, even if we've been ignoring the impacts of shock and stress for weeks. Which leads me to my first guest of this brand new series, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Wendy is a professor of Neuroscience and Psychology in the Center for Neuroscience at New York University. I wanted to speak to Wendy because she's an expert in brain plasticity, our ability to form and retain new long-term memories, and how aerobic exercise can be used to improve our learning, memory, and higher cognitive abilities in humans. Her talks on the brain-changing benefits of exercise have been viewed over 13 million times, and her TED Talk was the second most popular TED Talk in 2018. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how extreme stress affects our brains. You'll hear Wendy share some simple techniques for calming our anxiety. What is the difference between good and bad anxiety and the physical actions that we can be taking to improve our physical and mental well-being. If there's a part of this episode that's going to really like resonate with you and you're like, oh man, that is the thing, then you've got to share it with us. Please use the hashtag workingthroughit. And feel free to tag me, at Damon Clotz, and at CultureAmp, so we can partake on that conversation with you on social media. To start, I'd love to learn a little bit more around, like, what's actually happening to our brain right now. We're in a crisis, our brain is taking on a lot of information, and, you know, you're an expert in both brain plasticity as well as just the brain in general. So I'd love to kind of know, like, what's actually happening inside my brain right now.
1: Yeah, so... I want to start with a normal day, not COVID-19, any normal day, because any normal day, the things that happen to you, the people you talk to, the experiences that you have are affecting your brain. And that is the basic definition of brain plasticity. Now, what I've tried to do is use brain plasticity and leverage the parts of brain plasticity that improve your brain functions, make it stronger, make it better, but- There are many, many different kinds of experience that uh, will do the opposite. It will shrink your brain, it will kill brain cells, it'll shrink those dendrites. And one of the most common that will do that is stress. So many of us are experiencing higher levels of stress than we have experienced in quite a while with COVID-19. And um, so what is that doing Uh, at a physiological basis? um, It is increasing levels of cortisol, the stress hormone in our bloodstreams that goes into our brain and that has specific effects on certain brain areas. Uh, The two that I'll highlight are First, the hippocampus, which is a brain structure that I've studied for my entire career, critical for long-term memory. Why does it have an effect on the hippocampus? Because the hippocampus has probably the densest number of receptors for, for cortisol of any other brain area. That means it is really, really sensitive. If there's cortisol in the area, it is going to know about that cortisol, and that is why in stressful situations, often our memory does not work very well. That is the cortisol working on our um, hippocampus. The other brain area that is very sensitive to cortisol levels is the prefrontal cortex that helps us shift and focus attention, also affected in high levels of stress. You can't make decisions. It's, it's hard to focus in, and um, uh, kind of keep your life going. And so um, that is what is happening to the brain. You have higher levels of cortisol that is really uh, making it harder to make decisions to remember things and it just contributes to this higher level of discomfort that we're all feeling right now
0: so um i think you just sort of touched on the idea that our like our brain is processing it's always processing a lot but right now it's processing mm-hmm even more. And just taking in the sheer scale of what's happening in the world right now and, you know, the the compassion fatigue that we might be kind of feeling for people that we don't know and the amount of news that's flooding through, that can lead to a lot of anxiety. Not only what's happening inside of the four walls of our current house with our own friends and family, but in terms of just what we're feeling to society as a whole or the the loss of, you know, what we used to know. So besides just saying, I'm just going to turn off my phone, what should we actually be doing to help ease some of that pressure that we're feeling.
1: Yeah. So there are many different steps that one can take. And I like to start with um, kind of the most immediate. What if you are just experiencing anxiety right now? What do you do in this moment to try and shift that? And the fastest and most direct thing that every single person listening to this podcast can do is breathe deeply, and I'm gonna tell you there's a neuroscience-based reason why that is the case. And that is because breathing deeply stimulates part of the nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. That is the part of the nervous system that calms the nervous system down. We also call it uh, the rest and digest nervous system. This is what's uh, kind of activated on the weekends when um, uh, you, you have time to Breathe deeply. Your heart rate is lower. You have time to digest. Uh, it stimulates actually reproductive uh, uh, functions. And that is in direct opposition to another nervous system or uh, part of the nervous system that we call the sympathetic nervous system that everybody knows as the fight or flight nervous system so what that nervous system does or what that part of the nervous system does is it heightens your heartbeat it it makes your breath short and shallow it activates your muscles so that you can run away from whatever is is dangerous so obviously in this time we want more of an activation of that rest and digest system and the part of the nervous system that is under most conscious conscious um, control is the breath I can't slow down my heart rate by thinking about it. I can't activate my digestion by thinking about it. But what I can do is I could take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And that just naturally calms the nervous system because it's part of that kind of parasympathetic loop. And so in the middle of, of just whatever's happening, in the middle of a, a anxiety-provoking conversation, anybody can just... Take one moment and breathe in deeply and breathe it out. And there's a reason why deep breathing is one of the most ancient forms of meditation in in our culture. The monks did not know about the parasympathetic nervous system. However, monks and regular meditators unconsciously know that that is a deeply calming activity that one can do. So that is kind of my tip of the day for immediate addressing of an anxiety, um, um, anxious situation.
0: So I know uh, there's like box breathing or like four in, six out. If we were to do one live right now, uh, what would you recommend for me?
1: Yes, I love the um, four in, six out. So the idea here is to do a deep inhale on a count of four so we can all do this together. So inhaling for four, three, two, one, and hold it for a moment. Now exhale slowly on a six count for six, five, four, three, two, and one. And it really, if you do this, it focuses you on the act of breathing, what it feels like. Um, that is, again, the most ancient form of uh, meditation. It's a meditation they call on an object. So in this case, the object is your breath. And um, I'm sure many of you have done it on in your yoga classes but it's one of the most common uh, basic but also effective ways to use breath to calm yourself down and, and get into a meditative state.
0: I was in no ways anxious before this conversation. In fact, I was thoroughly looking forward to it, but I already feel calmer and <laughs> I feel like my voice will slow down and I should definitely be doing this before I'm recording voiceovers where I sit there and talk to myself for an hour for this podcast. Yes. So I will be taking your, your, your advice for sure. So when we think about company values, we think about, you know, there can be sort of like good sides to them as well as shadow sides. And when I think about anxiety, there's also good anxiety and bad anxiety. And I think a lot of us are probably facing either thinking about anxiety more or we're feeling it more based on just the amount of pressure that we're feeling. So um, in what ways is the anxiety that we're feeling right now um, good in some ways and in what ways are, you know, this anxiety that we're facing bad?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, Thank you for asking that question, because my second book coming out in a few months is called Good Anxiety, Bad Anxiety. And the core thesis of that book is the idea that anxiety from an evolutionary standpoint is a protective mechanism. Anxiety is designed to protect us from dangers out there. And in order to protect us, it is an activation. It was you know, developed or evolved to protect us and put us into action so that we can get away from whatever danger there is. Now, what has happened is stress and the world has changed, and it's not necessarily the lion that's going to get us where, you know, we immediately run away. It is taxes. It is the loss of a job or the potential loss of a job in the pandemic. Where am I going to get the next Food that I that I need. If all of the you know grocery stores have lines that are three hours long, these are all anxiety provoking situations, and um, uh, they they tend to push us into a spiral of just kind of wallowing in this fear uh, of what might be. And so I think everybody's familiar with that. Certainly in in this condition, that is what I call bad anxiety. Good anxiety is trying to uh, get back to the original intent of anxiety, and that is uh, activating you into action. So instead of worrying that the line might be three hours long at the grocery store, an action item might be get there at the crack of dawn uh, the first hour that you can be there and um, be uh, and minimize the time in line, be active in in the ways that you uh, organize your life and use that kind of brain activation, which is the uh, uh, kind of output of anxiety to do something positive. I think that if you take this to not the extreme, but to a higher level, you get what um I call superpowers of anxiety and so one is very related to this example that i just i just said and it came from uh so many people that we interviewed for this book particularly a, a lawyer that i'll never forget um when i told her about the idea of the book she said oh my god i am the lawyer that i am today and the high-paid lawyer that i am today because of my anxiety She basically takes all of those what ifs. What if the other team says this, 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 and this, and she acts on them. She she goes and she dots all the I's. She crosses all the T's to the best of her ability, and that makes her a superb lawyer. And so that kind of mindset of, yes, I actually, your your what ifs turn into the vehicle by which you could actually you know, get to the next level in your work. Uh, you can, you can you know, create a better life. Uh, the same exact strategy was uh, um, uh, described by an entrepreneur that I talked to as well, who uh, would go into anxiety every time a, an, a potential investor said no. And that was really bad because a lot of investors say no a lot. So this person was in anxiety all the time. And instead of just, again, wallowing in that anxiety, evaluating what did that investor like? What did they not like? Or obviously, what made them say no, as far as they could understand? Change your pitch, Change your strategy to address every single one of those. And of course, you can't predict the future, but that is the active component that will allow you to get out of the anxiety into the, okay. I did something to address that potential fear, that fear that, you know, the fear that uh, that the next investor will say no. So um, uh, I call this this a superpower, and, and we describe it for lots of different situations, taking elements of your own personal form of anxiety and then kind of catapulting it into a superpower.
0: I typically don't like to make blanket statements, but I'm going to say that there's only two types of people in the world um there are the type that have a couple of uh tabs open on their browser and the people who have a hundred per browser and then minimize them and they sit down the bottom and then they one tab them and then eventually they are just going to their computer's just going to crash and die because they've got too many tabs open yes yes um i may be the latter and when i look at how many tabs i've got open or how many have just gone to you know the um, one tab cemetery that i might never read again you know i can feel overwhelmed and Um, But I can just shut them all down and come back to them at another time. But when it comes to all of the tabs that are open in my head, (laughs) it's a lot harder to actually shut them down or just do a close all. So what advice do you have to help us manage the amount of tabs that we have open in our head right now?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I do that absolutely. I never thought of it as a mental tab handling strategy, but, but actually it is. And it is my morning um, routine that I do every single morning. And it starts with a uh, form of meditation, which is a tea meditation. So it's meditation over brewing and drinking tea, hot tea. And I was taught this meditation by a monk when I was on vacation that I met. uh, And he literally goes around the world teaching this tea meditation to people. I do it at home because I found it so compelling. And I had been searching for something to help me meditate. I I couldn't just sit there and be quiet. I tried guided meditation, but I couldn't stick with it. And for me, the ritual of brewing tea, which has steps that are obvious. First, the hot water has to be hot. Then you pour it in. Then you steep. Then you wait for it to steep. Then you pour it. Then you get to drink it. And then you start it over again. That, That ritual... That circular ritual kept me going in the meditation. And um, every single morning, I, uh, it helps reset my brain. Um, there are no tabs open during that meditation. I'm really able to kind of transport myself back to that first meditation that I did with the monk. It's not like the tab mode that I get into, like you get into in the middle of the day but it is, it is truly a clearing. And after I finish my meditation, I do 30 to 45 minutes of exercise and I'm ready. And uh, uh, that helps kind of me start the day with an energized body and a clear mind. And um, that, that is how I deal with, with uh, the tabs that get open right after that when I jump into my computer. And the other element that I'll add on that I don't always talk about, but is so critical is sleep. I can deal with the stresses of every day many times better when I've had a good night's sleep. And I've noticed it because I started sleeping more during this home lockdown, Um, um, intentionally tried to see what my natural sleep time was. And it's approximately an hour more than I was getting for the last 20 years. And uh, I feel better and actually can work out harder Um, because of that sleep and occasionally you know you have a bad night and and, or you stay up late watching a a dumb movie or a good movie and um, and you I woke up and ooh, I could tell the difference and I thought to myself this is the level that my brain has been working on for the last 20 years because I've habitually been an hour sleep deprived so um, I've just come into new realization of how powerful Sleep was, and I can tell you all the neuroscience reasons why. But but this was like my first personal eye opening to the power of that that regular sleep and knowing what your own sleep um, natural sleep um, duration really is.
0: I think one thing that a lot you know a lot of us are probably struggling with right now is our our traditional structures of how we used to work or how we used to exercise. Have you found that there's certain types of exercises that help us aid creativity or help us aid deep work that we could be doing in our homes right now to help us make the most of the limited time we have to work?
1: Well, you know, the only evidence I have on that, it comes from one of the studies I did at NYU in college students. These were low fit students that went on a one semester on exercise, one semester off exercise. And compared to their off semester the exercise that they did which was uh minimum 30 minutes of a cardio workout um did significantly improve their creativity as measured by a standard um, creativity task which is is not you know full creativity it only measures a, a certain part but um it suggests that moderate not moderate to pushing workout for a low fit person that is going to get the creative juices going. There's not as many studies on the effects of exercise on creativity. But from a personal perspective, I can tell you that I work better in general, including on my creativity with a hard workout. I I like to really push the cardio so that I am really out of breath at the end end of my workout. But I work out very regularly and I've been, you know, I've been taking advantage of all of the free six weeks or, you know, several months trials that you get from Peloton, which is great. Center.com. I use Daily Burn. I'm a I'm a regular user anyway, and I love uh, I love challenging myself, but when I first started working out, don't challenge me, just I want to do the fun, simple things. so it's really, it's really an evolution, as uh, many people who exercise a lot recognize.
0: Do you have any advice based on your research to work on our brain fitness, if we are out of work right now, or we are underutilized, so that when we do ever have a chance to, you know, get back to work, or if we do have a really important interview, that we're kind of as mentally fit as possible?
1: Absolutely. I think that this is a perfect time. Um, whether you're out of work or not, many of us have more time on our, their hands. Just the lack of commute alone is giving me a whole hour or more uh, of time. And so my recommendation, well, first, absolutely, um, use that time to uh, move more and and more importantly, find uh, kind of movement that you enjoy, because, you know, forcing yourself to do something is not going to lead to long-term adherence. And um, the good news is that there are so many venues for free exercise, uh, great deals out there for online platforms. Um, The other week, I worked out live online and on Instagram with, with Venus Williams and her mother, so you can work out with celebrities. And I loved her because... She was using two Prosecco bottles as weights. So she led us through a, a 30 minute workout just using you know, what you would have at home, wine bottles as weights. Um, it's, it's a great time to explore everything from dance to Bata workouts, whatever. There's so much variety out there. So use that time to explore because I feel like it's a new renaissance of online fitness. Um, they know they have a captive audience out there. So they are pushing out their best instructors, their most engaging workouts. And I find the the quality of online workouts um, um, going up and up. And I've tried to take advantages of as many free workouts, but also kind of free trial workouts uh, as I can. So I, I recommend that everybody do that as well.
0: So the final question that you're gonna hear me ask Wendy is what advice do you typically give to others that you found yourself saying a lot more during this time in order to work through it? But before we get to that, I want to do a quick check-in with everyone listening. Part one of working through it, it's called Start With Today. And by listening to this and joining me, you've done just that. This is the first step in our collective journey to restoring health and well-being. After a disruptive event Together, you and I We've learned what happens to our brains during a crisis How we can manage our anxiety levels And why exercise is critical to helping both our body And our brain work through this If you haven't had a look already Then please make sure you head to culturefirst.com working through it We've got more amazing stories Content from our partners As well as an inside look Into how CultureAmp is working through it during this time a reminder to share how you're supporting yourself and your team by using the hashtag working through it on social media and tagging at CultureAmp or at Damon Clotz so we can share your story with our wider community. Now let's head back to my last question for today's guest, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. What advice do you typically give to others that you found yourself saying more to yourself during this time in order to work through it?
1: The most common advice I've given to others is that Altruism and giving to others is one of the best ways to stimulate dopamine in your brain, make yourself feel better, and get you out of any anxiety or worry that you have. Uh, common one is money. So, ah, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to have enough money? Actually, I I can give five dollars to feed children in in New York City or whatever, and. That, that is something that I can do. It completely shifts your perspective and really makes you feel good. So I, I recommend that and I remind myself that when I start to go into worry.